commit to something, urges a poster near 14th Street. Commit to something. This glossy 14-foot-high image confronts the viewer with the oiled abdominal muscles of a male model, reclining while a tattoo artist gets to work on his chest. The model's eyes glare through the camera, feeling no pain, daring us, commit to something. Another model a few blocks away stares not at the viewer, but at his own body, marveling not only at his perfect hamstrings, but also that they are covered in a swarm of bees. Commit to something, the ad urges. A final image a few blocks further down. A female model this time, eyes rimmed in black liner, sits at a local French restaurant. Emeralds hang from her ears. Her hair is perfect. Her biceps swell as she simultaneously breastfeeds twins. She does not look exhausted. In fact, she looks triumphant. Commit to something, the poster reads. All three of these ads are part of the 2016 Equinox Gym campaign, advertising commit to something. Not to bees or to tattoos or to twins, but rather to impossibly fit bodies, to model-like abdomens. For $200 a month, you too could commit to something. As a Christian, this ad campaign stopped me in my tracks with its countercultural message. In a world that feels increasingly anonymous, disconnected, and optional, here were these beautiful human beings daring us to commit to something. Jonah, as we hear from our scripture this morning, and as we may remember from VBS or from Sunday school or our children, Jonah is having trouble committing to anything at all. God has asked him to deliver a message of destruction to the Ninevites. Forty more days and the city will be overthrown. There is no caveat. There is no loophole. God is committed to destroying the Ninevites. This image of God that we hold so dear, of God as ultimately committed, is found in song and scripture. God is our strong rock, a castle to keep us safe. He is our firm foundation, and all else is sinking sand. In the midst of grief and sadness, even in the midst of joys, we look to God as the unchangeable constant, the one in whom we trust. Jonah, however, is having trouble trusting. And so, at the beginning of his story, boards a ship in the direction opposite to Nineveh, literally away from solid ground and into a stormy sea. He seems to think, that he can outrun the will of God. There's something charming about that concept. And he is committed to getting away. But God chases him, and a storm overtakes the boat. Jonah jumps into the sea to save the lives of the Gentile sailors. God, as we know, calms the storm and sends a big fish to keep Jonah safe. God has kept his promise to one of his chosen, an Israelite by birth and religion, and Jonah is spit up on the seashore. 
This notion of trying to keep promises is one that we follow as Episcopalians and as Christians, isn't it? How often do we repeat our baptismal vows, promises, commitments, with a sense of aspiration, but also with a sneaking suspicion that we are not quite living up to God's standards? How often do we say the confession for things done and left undone, worried that there are a lot of those things? And how often do we sit in pews at the weddings of friends, listening to the vows that they are taking, with a sneaking suspicion that we have perhaps not loved, not honored rightly, that we are not sufficiently committed, and that this distance between ourselves and our promises feels an awful lot like distance between ourselves and God. We catch up with Jonah as he walks into Nineveh, proclaiming the unshakable message that Nineveh will be destroyed and everything in it. The backstory is that the Ninevites are enemies of the Israelites. Not only are they Gentile foreigners, but they are also the enemy oppressors who have overtaken Israel. Jonah does not want to go there. He does not want to face his enemies. He walks, we are told, only a third of the way into the city, proclaiming destruction. The Ninevites hear the word, and from the king all the way down to the cows and the horses, we are told, the people repent. These people do not worship Yahweh. They do not recognize the merciful God who is slow to anger and swift in kindness. Not knowing the good news, with, and without being asked, the Ninevites take on sackcloth and ashes, and they fast. And just like that, our rock-like God, the unshakable Yahweh, the committed God of Israel, God changes God's mind. God changes God's mind. What an astonishing thing to consider that God changes God's mind from time to time. God changes God's mind when it comes to the welfare of the Israelites in Exodus, for example, and whether or not they will be punished for their faithless ways. God seems to be open to negotiation when Abraham pleads for the righteous people in the city of Sodom. In the New Testament, we hear not only about Jesus learning and growing throughout his ministry, the beginning of which we hear of today from Mark's Gospel. Not only do we hear about Jesus learning and growing, but also Jesus changing his mind. For example, when Martha begs Jesus to bring Lazarus back from the dead, or when the Syrophoenician woman begs Jesus to heal her daughter. As humans, we are all too familiar with insufficient commitment and with disappointment from ourselves and from others. Changing a mind, isn't this a human action? Doesn't it somehow diminish God and God's greatness to imagine that God, too, might change God's mind? When Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and James and John, he is essentially saying to them, commit, not to something, to a gym, to a body, but to him. Follow me. Commit to me. And just like that, they drop their nets and follow, leaving property and fathers and businesses and employees and entire lives behind. It would be simple to preach a sermon on the exemplary commitment of these disciples, 
the blind faith with which they followed Jesus. And I think that's why the gospel writers have included these stories like this, to inspire us similarly to follow Jesus, who is revealed in the rest of the gospel, whom we know and trust to follow him all the way to the cross. This is the gospel writer's ad campaign. Commit to something he is calling. But it would be disingenuous to not realize that James and John and Simon and Andrew weren't already committed. They were committed to their own religion and to their families, to their communities and to their livelihoods. What kind of men would walk away from these things on the promises of a stranger? And so we have two different stories in which minds are changed. The first, when Jonah's mind is changed by God and God's mind is changed by the Ninevites. And the second, when the lives and commitments of the disciples are turned upside down upon meeting Jesus. What we hear is not that God is insufficiently committed, but rather that our actions matter to God in the same way that God's actions matter to us. To what is God calling us then, if not blind commitment? Here are three things which we know about God, which we can take away from the scriptures today. First, and I think this matters most these days, God is committed to the outsider in distress with or without change or repentance. Yes, God changes his mind when the Gentile Ninevites repent, but God also chooses to rescue the crew of the ship in which Jonah travels, a crew that does not know or worship Yahweh. God delivers them. He is committed to the outsider. Second, God is committed to compassion. We see this especially through the very human work of Jesus' ministry. Jesus responds to people who suffer, asking nothing of them in return. God responds to those who struggle. God is committed to compassion. And finally, God is committed to change and to changing us. How often are we the rocks that would sink ourselves down to the bottom of the ocean? How often are we as inflexible as stone in the face of those who suffer? How often do we punish ourselves against impossibly rigid standards? God tells us instead that he wants to replace our stony hearts with hearts of flesh, to give us new hearts so that we may be more like him. Commit to something. Commit to the outsider. Commit to compassion. Commit to being changed by the God who loves us and makes us whole. Amen.